It is our privilege to bring to you the following message, supported by the gifts and love offerings of the people of Rancho Baptist Church in Temecula, California. This message was recorded during our normal Sunday morning service times. Pastor Rick Foster is serving as our interim senior pastor here at Rancho Baptist Church. We are continuing in our journey through the book of Philippians, and today Pastor Rick is in Philippians chapter 3, looking at verses 12 through 16 in a sermon he's entitled, Moving Forward. This is part 11 now of our Finding Joy in Our Journey series. Let's join Rick. In the Academy-winning movie, or the Academy Award-winning movie, Tender Mercies, Robert Duvall plays the role of a once-famous but now washed-up country music singer by the name of Mac Sledge. Mac is currently uh, stringing together a series of dead-end jobs, and he's battling the bottle. Rosalie and her little young boy, Sonny, befriend Mac. And late in the movie, Mac and this little boy both get baptized at a local church. And as they're driving home in Mac's pickup truck, the following conversation um, occurs. Sonny, well, we've done it, Mac. We're baptized. Mac, yeah, we are. Sonny, well, everyone said I was going to feel like a changed person. I guess I do feel a little different, but I don't feel a whole lot different. Do you? Mac, not yet. Sonny, you don't look any different. Then Sonny sits up to look at himself in the rearview mirror of the pickup truck and says, Do you think I look any different? Mac, not yet. Do you ever look in the mirror and ask those kinds of questions? Do you ever look in the mirror and wonder why as a follower of Jesus Christ your life doesn't really feel or look very different? Have you ever asked questions like, if the gospel is such great news, then why don't I sense it's doing a great work to change my heart? Or are the promises of are the promises of the Bible kind of like an aggressive salesman who overpromises but underdelivers? And where is my eternal life? Where is this life with a capital L that Pastor Rick keeps referring to? And why does being a Christian feel most days like I'm one of those inflatable Gumby men that the retail stores put out by the street every day where sometimes I'm lifted up high with my arms raised up and then I collapse only to do the cycle all over again? Recently I've been reading a book by a man by the name of Rankin Wilborn who is a pastor up in Los Angeles. His book is called Union with Christ. And he describes a point in his life where he said, I had seen enough of Jesus to spoil my enjoyment with the world, but not enough to be content with Jesus alone. And I didn't know how to move forward. Of course, then we all face then another confusion. It's called the comparison factor. We keep running into other believers who always seem just Fine. They're always smiling. They always appear happy, satisfied, fulfilled. They always tell us that everything is just great. And so we begin to wonder, what's wrong with me? 
Why can't my life always be great? Have I missed something? Because it just seems to me that almost every day is a constant struggle. Well, this morning, the Apostle Paul is going to bring an incredibly good dose of reality into what it means for each one of us to follow Jesus. Again, this morning, we're going to be looking at Philippians 3, starting at verse 12, going down to verse 16. And I want you to notice how his comments here, is, are, what they're going to do is they're going to reduce the amount of confusion we feel. It's going to give us a sense of confidence in, in facing those bewildering days of, am I really changing? Am I really any different? And by the way, it's also going to give us a roadmap to give us a sense of direction. And who here doesn't need less confusion? Who here doesn't need more confidence? Who here doesn't need direction in our relationship with Jesus? So there's a question that Paul is answering in these verses this morning. And the question is this. What does it mean to follow Jesus? And the church at Philippi evidently desperately needed to have an answer to this question. And by the way, I imagine that most of us need that answer as well. And it's interesting how the answer that Paul gives really comes to us in three parts. And then each of these three parts combine together to give us a unified whole answer. So let's look at these three parts and then combine them all together. First, if we're going to understand what it means to follow Jesus, we need to appreciate, first of all, that it's a daily journey. Look at verse 12. How does it begin? Paul says, not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect. Stop right there. Isn't that fascinating? Paul candidly and honestly admits he has not arrived. The hero of our faith, or one of the heroes of our faith, openly confesses without shame that he is still in process and he doesn't have it all together. Now carefully look at his opening words there in verse 12. He says, I have not obtained this. Well, what does this refer to? Well, that little word pushes us back into the context of where we were last Sunday, where Paul has been describing the surpassing worth, this is all the way back up in verse 8, the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. So again, without shame, notice, Paul is admitting that he doesn't know Jesus as he should know Jesus. He hasn't gotten there yet. In fact, the, the specific words he uses are so helpful for us. Again, that word, I have not obtained it. That word obtained is literally describing a building which was under construction and now has been completed. So if he says, I've not obtained it, then Paul is saying that in his relationship with Jesus Christ, it's, it's much like a construction progress, a, a construction process that is still going on. Notice also, he also uses the words that I've not already become perfect. That word perfect means to be complete, to be full, to be finished. Again, it just emphasizes all the more how Paul sees following Jesus as an ongoing but not completed work in his own life. Folks, do we hear what Paul's telling us? Do we really let that sink in? 
He has admitted he has not arrived. In fact, he's going to repeat himself in just a moment. He is still on a journey. In other words, do we recognize in ourselves that we have not arrived? That we are on a journey. The journey of knowing Jesus in ever-increasing levels of intimacy. In other words, if we let that sink in, we will realize it is normal. It is normal for us to be painfully aware of how far we have yet to go. That's normal. It's normal to be sensitive to ever-increasing areas of sin in our lives. To be bothered by the tendency that we all have at times to operate out of our flesh. To struggle because we're now becoming more aware of that we have periods of time when we just seem to wander off from following Jesus. There are times when people come and, and talk to me and they seem really distressed. They are very distressed over not being where they would like to be in their relationship with the Lord. And I look at them and say, that's good. And they almost kind of jerk, like, that's good. I say, yeah, that's good. Because the only way a person will take a journey is if they're unhappy with their present position. And what you're telling me is you're not really happy with right where you are. That's good. Now back to verse 12. What's in the very next word? But, not that I've already obtained this, Paul says, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Again, I haven't arrived, Paul says, but I do press on. In fact, the word press on literally means to, to pursue, to run after, to seek after intently. And the, by the way, that to be a little technical here for a moment, that verb is in the present tense. So literally Paul is saying he is consistently and constantly pressing on. Now we'll come back to this word in a moment, talk about it uh, again in a little bit fuller way. But just, just for right now, just keep in mind that the journey motif that Paul is giving us is continuing with every descriptive word he uses. But there's a characteristic about this journey of following Jesus that's crucial to understand. Again, look in the middle of verse 12. But I press on to make it my own. The journey Paul is on is to make his relationship with Jesus his own. And then the verse goes on. Look at the rest of it. Because... Christ Jesus has made me his own. In fact, I like the way some of your translations put it. I press on to take hold of that for which Jesus Christ has taken hold of me. So I can pursue grabbing hold of Jesus better because he's already grabbed hold of me. Again, do you see what Paul's telling us here? I mean, this is, this is an absolutely amazing message for him to communicate to us. That my pursuit of Jesus is not to get something I don't have. He already has taken hold of me. He's given me a new heart as part of the new covenant. I'm a new creation. I'm now a child of, of the living God. I call him Abba, Father. 
The journey is to grow into that relationship that I have already been given. So to change the words, or to say it another way, the journey of of following Jesus is not about trying to gain something new, but to experience that which I already have. I'm expecting the journey to help me become who I already am. I don't need to change. I need to experience transformation. By the way, this is such an important part of understanding and living in a relaxed, confident way of following Jesus that next Sunday we're going to take a little side journey. We're going to kind of step aside from being here in Philippians and we're going to develop all the more this whole concept of what does it mean to be on a journey of becoming more like Jesus Christ. So next Sunday, come back. We'll explore this a little bit. We'll take a little sidebar here. But back into the text, I want you to know there's a danger we face when we, that we, when we realize we're not going to arrive at a complete relationship with Jesus Christ in this life, and the danger is that we begin to think, well, then why try if I can't attain it? But we need to understand it's not an all or nothing proposition here. So Paul now adds the second element of what it means to follow Jesus. What's the first element? It's a daily journey. Now he adds the second element, beginning in verse 13. It's a daily journey of focused intention. Look at verse 13. Paul says, so brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. Okay, when do you repeat yourself? When you're trying to emphasize something for somebody else, right? So Paul has just repeated himself. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Again, notice the focused intention. This one thing I do, I press on. And here's number what Paul's trying to say is here's what I'm chasing. Here's what I'm zealously pursuing. It's interesting that that word press on was used a lot to describe runners who are exerting all of their energy to win a race. The great reformer Martin Luther once wrote, he said, the nature of a Christian does not lie in what he or she has become, but what they are becoming. So Paul's singular focus there, verse 13, this one thing I do, the concentration of all of his energies is to pursue that ever-deepening relationship with Jesus. I don't know what kind of a mental image you have when you think of the Apostle Paul. Um, Is one of your mental images of the Apostle Paul sitting down and watching ESPN? It should be. I think if Paul were alive today, he would love ESPN. And you know why I say that? It's because in a lot of his writings in the New Testament, he constantly gives us sports analogies. He sees here in in other places like 1 Corinthians 9 and other places that following Jesus is like a runner 
who is striving to win the race by keeping his concentration on the finish line. And he reminds us over and over again that this runner who runs, he isn't looking around as he runs. No, he's got his eyes looking forward. He isn't waving to people in the stands as he runs. In the middle of his race, he doesn't stop and have a drink and chat with his friends. No, there is this focused intention. For Paul, everything else becomes secondary. And we looked at this last week when we were talking about values, you know, that help us uh, judge our options. Everything else for Paul becomes secondary to knowing Jesus Christ. And I look at this, and then I ask myself, Rick, do you have that kind of focused intention? (laughs) And I have to admit, you know, so often I get distracted. Don't we all? We get distracted away from this one thing I do, pressing on. Are you like me? Do you get distracted from that focused intention by your own personal pain? I have, and I probably will again. By the desire to make a profit, by becoming absorbed in what we wear, and moving up in our jobs, getting better grades, trying to improve our image in front of others. And I'm realizing, and as I think you probably understand, we cannot give our concentration to many things and yet do the one thing like Paul did. This one thing I do takes focused intention. So you might think to yourself, well, how do I do that? How do I start trying to remove these distractions from my life and really get better at pressing on? Paul helps us. Look at the end of verse 13. Here's how we develop this spiritual concentration. What does he say to us at the end of verse 13? This one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. So, notice, on the one hand, there is a a forgetting that is necessary. And the word he uses, forget, talks about refusing to let the past influence my present. Why is that important? That there's a need for us to forget what lies behind? Well, for so many of us, some of our past can be quite negative. As we remember the past, what do we think about? Our regrets areas of shame, those things that speak lies of condemnation to our hearts and minds, and it discourages us from trying to press on. How does it discourage us? I'll never change. Or on the other hand, the past can be positive. Successes or accomplishments in life can lead us to be self-satisfied and therefore we don't, we're not motivated to keep pressing on. We kind of become happy with where we are. Paul says, no, no, I gotta forget what lies behind. I don't let the past influence my present. On the other hand, not only is there forgetting what lies behind, notice, I strain forward to what lies ahead. Here again, Paul's inserting this picture, a sports analogy of this runner who is leaning forward to be the first one to break the tape. In the international field competitions just yesterday, in the 100-yard dash, Bolt from Jamaica was finally beaten by one one-hundredth of a second. These guys were straining to finish first. (laughs) But what's our finish line? 
It's not 100 meters. Paul tells us, I press on, verse 14, toward what? The goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What's that upward call? What are we called and invited to? Romans 8, 29 tells us to be conformed to the image of his son. Jesus is calling us to become more like Jesus. Friends, we follow Jesus in order to become more like him. So how has Paul, up to this point, answered the question of what does it mean to follow Jesus? Well, he's described it as, one, a daily journey, Two, a focused intention, but there's a third element to add, and this might surprise you. Those first two aspects of a daily journey with focused intention are to be done, third, within a supportive community. Look at verse 15 and 16. So let those of us who are mature think this way, And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Notice in verse 15, Paul shifts from using the word I, I, me, to now using the words we, us. He's moving from his own life to talking about the church as a supportive community. In other words, the implication now is that following Jesus, it is personal, but it's not private. Following Jesus is best done and accomplished within the environment of a supportive community. Why is it best done within a supportive community? Look at his appeal. First, verse 15. Let those of us who are mature think this way. In other words, those who are are mature in the community of Christ followers are to think about following Jesus just as Paul was thinking about it. That it's a daily journey of focused intention. Okay, so why is this important? Because we need others around us when our thinking gets skewed. When in that journey, we lose sight of the goal that we're trying to press on towards. We get discouraged that we haven't arrived. Or that we begin to think we'll never ever change in this area. Or we become passive because someone came to us and said, let go and let God. We need others to come alongside us and help us in thinking biblically correct and regain our balance so that we can hold on to two truths at the same time. Not only are we to keep working out our own salvation, but at the same time, God is at work within us both to will and to work for his good pleasure. There are times when we need the supportive community around us to help us think biblically and stay focused. That's one reason. But there's another reason why we need the community of believers. Look at verse 16. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Hold true to what we've attained? What what is Paul trying to say there? Well, let me ask you for a moment. What is your expectation of what it means to follow Jesus? 
In other words, how do you anticipate pursuing him is going to work out? Don't we have the idea that our effort will move us along in an ever-increasing steady path of getting to know Jesus? And sure, yes, it's, it's, it's uphill. Um, and I can't... Uh, but I can always see the goal. I can always see that, that prize of the upward call of God. So all I need to do is just put my head down and keep pedaling and I'll, and I'll progressively get there. But what's reality? This is reality. Who knows where the journey is going to take us this coming day? It's up. It's down. Sometimes I'm down in the valley. Sometimes I'm up on a ridge. Some days we lose absolute sight of that goal. And other days it is so tantalizingly close, it's almost like we can reach out and grab it. We have those days when we look back and we can see, oh yeah, I've made progress. And then there are those days when they come to an end, it looks like we've circled back and we're right where we started that morning. The journey is messy. We face hassles, disappointments, slap us in the face, and it's all part of the transforming work of God in our journey. And that's why we need each other. Because the journey can be puzzling. And we need each other to encourage each other to hold on and to, and to keep moving on and to not give up and to keep living out our journey of focused intention that God wants to see built into our lives. Mike Yankanelli, in his book, Messy Christianity, writes, Spirituality is not a formula. It is not a test. It's a relationship. Spirituality is not about competency, it's about intimacy. Spirituality is not about perfection, it's about connection. He goes on to say, the way of the spiritual life begins where we are now in the mess of our lives. Accepting the reality of our broken, flawed lives is the beginning of spirituality, not because the spiritual life will remove our flaws, but because we let go of seeking perfection and instead we seek God, the one who is present in the tangled mess of our lives. We need each other. We need each other to cheer each of us on to hold true. Practically, that means we need, we need to keep encouraging each other in little ways, like to keep praying when it doesn't look like our Heavenly Father is listening. To keep having time with the Lord each day when it doesn't look like we're getting anything out of it. To keep obeying when it doesn't seem to make sense. To keep gathering together to worship when, frankly, I'd rather be at the beach that morning. To keep trusting His promises when my pain is high and it doesn't look like God cares. Do you see the three parts, how they all come together? Following Jesus is that daily journey of focused intention within a supportive community. And so this week I've spent some time wondering, what could it mean if we followed Jesus like this? There are a lot of reasons why I like the movie The Wizard of Oz. 
But one of them is the dramatic shift in the story when Dorothy leaves her life in Kansas and starts a new life in the land of Oz. And if you know the movie very well, you know at that very moment the film shifts from telling the story in black and white and now the story becomes vivid color. Remember that point, the part of the story? In 37 years of being a pastor, I've had the privilege of serving churches on four continents. I've been a permanent pastor in some churches. I've been a missionary. I've been a teaching consultant. And now I am an interim pastor. 37 years. And it's just been in the last few years that something has begun to grip my heart, both personally and to grip my heart for the churches that I come alongside. And what I'm realizing is that when it comes to following Jesus, what I'm longing for more and more is for churches to break out of black and white living and to dramatically shift into vivid color living. Let me tell you what I see, what I dream And you may not understand some of the concepts that I'm going to just say here in the next few moments, and that's okay. I'll I'll try to fill in some of the details next Sunday as we kind of take a little sidebar tour together. But let me kind of share with you my heart. Black and white living, it breaks my heart to see churches following Jesus in black and white. And what I mean by that is when they try to change people who are already changed. When we measure righteousness by how little we sin. When we try to please a God who's already pleased with us. When we see ourselves more as saved sinners instead of saints who occasionally sin. That we believe on most days God is just deeply disappointed with me. That I'm convinced that Jesus is out there or over there or up there instead of in here that we don't really know how to really love or to be loved by others or by our God. Black and white living. And I read and I study through a passage like here in Philippians 3, and I begin to wonder what if the church on both an individual basis but also a corporate basis could begin to follow Jesus in living color like I believe Paul is telling us here. Imagine what could happen. Imagine what could happen if we began to create safe environments of grace in our personal relationships so that there's nothing to hide from each other, where we encourage each other to live out that new nature that is within us instead of just comparing behaviors, where we live out of a heartfelt obedience instead of a sense of religious compliance, where we take the moralistic filter off of God's word so that it no longer condemns us who are trying to follow Christ where we offer a gospel of hope for today, not just a remedy of how to get to heaven one day, where we're able to enjoy the intimate and unguarded closeness of a God who's already pleased with us in Christ, where we believe in the absolute reality that we have been given a shame-free story and it's been purchased for us, so we're free to take off our masks with each other. It could happen. It can happen if one by one by one 
We follow Jesus on a daily journey of focused intention within a supportive community. Let's pray. Father, I just want to start off by saying thank you that you don't put us on a performance standard. You understand because you're the one that created it to be a journey. A relationship growing journey. And yes, is there a a focused intention we've got to bring to the table? Yes, but even in that, we're dependent upon you to help us have that. But Father, thank you that you don't condemn us. But that you invite us into ever deepening layers and levels of intimacy with Jesus Christ. And Father, my heart so yearns to go there. And scared at the same time. To be that real with you. To be that real with others. But Father, thank you that what Paul, without shame, laid out before us is what it means to follow you. And so, Father, would you help us go there, even if we don't know the way, trusting that you'll take our hand as we follow. Trusting you because we want to believe you'll love us. Trusting you because we want to believe what your word tells us, that we have been lavished in grace. Because where sin abounds, yet grace abounds all the more. And so, Father, I pray that you would continue to mold and shape my heart. Don't let me get discouraged in the journey. And I pray that we as a body of believers would come alongside each other to cheer each other on when our thinking gets skewed, when we're tempted to give up and not hang on and hold on to what we've already attained. Father, may these truths powerfully move within us, we pray in Jesus' name. Hey, thanks for being with us today. It's always a pleasure to serve you with this CD ministry. Here at Rancho Baptist Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples who love God, love others, and live to reach their world for Christ. And if you have any questions regarding this sermon, or just perhaps knowing God in a deeper way, don't hesitate to give us a call. Our phone number is area code 951-676-2911. Or you can reach us on the web at www.ranchobaptistchurch.com. That's www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. Have a great day in the Lord, and God bless you as you continue to walk with Him.